You are listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk, and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. Hello, brave ones. Thanks for listening to the Birth Bruja podcast. I'm your host, Ari Guajardo Johnson, and this is episode three, Ancestral Medicine Series, part two. Last episode, we connected with healer, community worker, and curandera Patul Trueheart for an introductory conversation into ancestral medicine. We answered the questions, what does ancestral medicine mean? Why is it powerful? How can we begin or deepen the journey of exploring the healing modalities of our ancestors? In this episode, we speak with birth worker Jenny Silva to explore more specifically what it looks like to weave ancestral medicine into our lives and birth work. Jenny Silva is the youngest of eight children, whose parents migrated from Mexico. Born in the Los Angeles area, Jenny found a connection with her indigenous roots as a youth. After many years of studying the Red Road, it wasn't until 2010 where she found her calling as a spiritual birth worker slash doula of color. Jenny is a mother to four warrior sons, a stepmother, and a tia to many. This is her inspiration to continue her ancestral ways of healing. Using plant medicine, ancestral nutrition, reboso techniques, and abuelita wisdom, Jenny reminds women and families of their own inner strength through mind, body, and spirit. She supports them in bringing forth their own unique birthing ceremony and postpartum journey. How can ancestral medicine support our wellness as birth workers? Why is it important to decolonize birth and stay connected to ancestral traditions? What could our birth offerings look like if we were to specifically include our traditions in our offerings? Jenny and I answer these questions and more. Stay tuned. Want to extend a huge welcome to birth worker Jenny Silva. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us for the episode three of the Birth Bruja podcast. Oh, thank you, Classic Analyst, for having me on. Thank you. I was super, super excited uh, to learn about your work through Instagram and to continue to learn more about you. Um, the series of episodes around ancestral medicine is something that's been really alive for me in my own life. And then the the more that I deepen my birth work, the more that I find that I'm drawing upon the resources, the medicine of my ancestral medicine. And so I feel like it's very important to be talking about these sort of dynamics. And I am really excited to learn more about how you've been weaving your medicine into your life, into your birth work. Um, you are you seem to be a beautiful community organizer. Um, you provide so many dynamic offerings. And you do a lot of stuff. You're, you're, uh, what's the term? Like a Jill of all trades. You seem to be the master of everything. <laughs> so I'm really pumped to spend more time with you here today. So to start us off, could you please tell us uh, about yourself? Where do you come from? What are you doing these days? Thank you once again for having me. Um, my name is uh, Ashley Jennifer Silva. I've never been a Jennifer, so I go under Jenny. Mm. Um, I was born and raised in East L.A., um, I am the youngest out of eight children. Um, I am the youngest out of six daughters that my mom had and two bro- and two boys. Mm. Yeah, growing up in East L.A. is, is life-changing, you know, um, especially when you turn your pain into your medicine, mm. you know. When we're young and we grow up in the hood, we, we grow up with so much and we feel like, it wasn't fair for us to grow up like that. But then when we get older, we realize that that is our medicine. The way we grew up is the way we are now, the reason that we are now, you know? Mm-hmm. Being of Mexican descent, I realized as I got older, I realized that being of Mexican descent is not, is not that's just not where it stopped, you know? Our spirit, my spirit has been here many, many times that I've been told. And 
sometimes my medicines intertwine, whether it's um, Mexican descent medicine, Mexica medicine, or Mayan medicine, or Oaxacan medicine. Um, I've just, again, my spirit has been here many, many times, and I no longer question exactly when somebody asks me, what, who are you or what are you? You know, what is your culture? My culture is everything. I'm a free spirit that's been here many times, and I am just a messenger of our medicine. That's all I am, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I've been studying my culture since I was a teenager. Since I opened up the books and I realized that the woman in the book, which was very few books, Few books. Of course, this is always taught around the missionary time of the school time, you know, mm-hmm. when you have to do that mission project and you realize, wow, these people actually look like me. Why do they look like me? And you go through school questioning that. Um, I am more than just Mexican. Again, there is way more to each one of us that comes from a colored background. Mm-hmm. So I started studying my ways when I became into high school, when I got into high school. And I started literally making copies of these books and these images that said Chicana Power, that said Cesar Chavez, that said this and that. And I started realizing that I was adorning my room with all these beautiful, powerful medicines that I didn't really grow up with as far as in my household, you know? Mm-hmm. My household, there was lots of Catholics, but not even lots of Catholics, but there was just, we were just raised Catholics. So I realized in this generation that these ancestral ways did lose a generation, but it doesn't mean that this medicine is not there, you know? Right. Meaning sometimes we're looking for this medicine and we right away search to our mothers or to our immediate family. Like, wait, where did I learn this medicine? Well, sometimes this medicine comes from an aunt comes from a great-grandmother, comes from a cousin of a cousin of a cousin. Mm-hmm. It comes from many different forms. So that's what I've realized when I first started searching this, is I started asking my own mother, hey, Mom, what are we? We're more than just Mexican. What are we? Because look at the picture of my grandmother. She's completely Native American. Mm-hmm. She has the most beautiful cheekbones. She looks Native American slash Yaki slash Mayan slash everything, you know, we are reflections of everything. So I questioned that when I was 15 years old. I remember that, like, who am I? You know, am I, I'm not just Mexican. Who am I? Am I Chicana? Am I Mexica? Am I Tolteca? Who am I? And I continued on with that study, and I just continued searching and searching and searching until I found myself by the age of 18 entering a sweat lodge. The first time I've ever entered sweat ceremony was when I was 18 years old, and it was ran by a Chicano, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I never stopped going ever since then. I've been going to sweat with the same calpuli since I was 18 years old. I found my home, basically. I found my ancestral roots, and those ancestral roots don't just come from an image, don't come from a blood lineage. They come from a spiritual connection. And for me, I connected to that fire, you know? Yeah. That fire is my ancestors. That sacred fire is literally my ancestors because that fire takes us to so many different life journeys, you know? Yeah. I guess I started searching for my medicine, yeah, since I was early, since I was 16. And again, since I was 18, started going to ceremony. And then again, from Sweat Lodge, you open up to different things in your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You travel more, you meet different people, you go through different transitions in your life, you know? Even the birthing ceremony. By the time I was 20, I had my first child. And even my own birth ceremony is a different rebirthing of myself. You become a different person each time that we give birth. So even even my own ceremonial birth ceremonies are still part of my ancestral teachings. Yes. You know? Ooh, okay. I want to pause right there because we're definitely going to go deeper into your personal experiences weaving in ancestral medicine into your life, but then also more about your offerings uh, for your birth clients. Um But before we move on, could you just speak upon what what do you do? What do you offer uh, to okay. your clients, to your community? Okay, so currently right now I am offering everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything that goes under the umbrella of women's health, that's mm-hmm. what I have to offer, okay? So mm-hmm. I can guide women all the way from their first time that they've had their menstrual cycle, which is for me is the moon phase 
So I guide women from their moon phase all the way to elderly women going into menopause. I do a little bit of all with women's health, whether that comes from nutritional work, whether that comes from hands-on abdominal work, whether that comes from spiritual work, whether that comes from guiding, whatever it is, I basically guide a woman from the beginning to the end. But currently, right now, um, I am more of a birth and postpartum doula, so I'm doing lots of birth work and lots of postpartum work, which is really, really important for me because... The way a woman is being taken care of when she is pregnant really matters on the whole overall health of the baby, and not just the baby, but the entire family and the community. Mm-hmm. The way a woman is being taken care of when she is pregnant is nurturing very much like a garden, you know? So the soil that we first start our garden with is really important. That's what really is going to determine what kind of garden you have, and that's the way I see pregnancy. So for me, I love to educate mamas um, throughout their whole pregnancy. Birth work, of course, attending and guiding mamas through their birth ceremonies um, from beginning to end. What that means is that I'm with the women in the early stages of labor, um, in the privacy of their own home, whether it's a hospital birth or a birth center birth or a home birth. I'm still labor my mamas in the comfort of their own home for early labor and then basically guide them through that whole transition. And I usually leave their site usually around four hours after they give birth, you know. That's beautiful. Um, and then I'm doing lots of placenta work, too. I mm-hmm. do lots of placenta work. Lots of placenta medicine is what I really like to call it. Um, placenta medicine is a whole other journey on its own. It's really understanding the different aspects of one organ in our human body. That's a whole medical field slash spiritual work, you mm-hmm. know, but it's still very powerful. So I find myself this year, it's kind of been kind of funny. I find myself with this, the way society is right now with bringing in lots of interventions for hospital births. Sometimes mamas are really not secure of ingesting their placenta. So right now I'm finding myself doing lots of placenta work for just keepsakes, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're basically preparing the placenta for burial, and they're just doing a cord keepsake, which traditionally in my culture and what I believe in, that's what we really did is that we offered our placenta back to Mother Earth, you know? Mm-hmm. To address the placenta is more like of a Chinese Western medicine and other cultures believed in that. And I don't have any problem preparing it whatsoever because to me it's still medicine. Do I understand the aspects and the medicine behind it? Oh yeah. So placenta medicine is beneficial whether you're planting it or whether you're ingesting it. So I've been doing lots of placenta medicine but what I'm really, really looking forward to right now for this year is networking and doing workshops. Mm. Um, I have been a, an active birth worker for the past eight years in my community. And what I mean by my community, I mean throughout the entire Inland Empire, Los Angeles, and Orange County, and San Fernando Valley area. For the past eight years, I have done the entire... all those five areas. So I'm not just a Los Angeles doula. I was a full traveling doula. And that sometimes takes a toll on you when you travel like that. I was just going to say that sounds so hardcore. Mm -hmm. It is hardcore, you know. (laughs) And I'm I'm very happy to say, though, that I've never missed the birth. You know, I've never missed the birth when I was a traveling doula at all. And the work takes you where the work takes you, right? Exactly. Definitely something bigger than us. And traffic always seems to just clear up at the perfect timing. And labors always, labors are night medicine for me. Births are night medicine. So for me, births are always something that come in the middle of the night or after the traffic is done. I never really miss the birth for traveling birth worker. Awesome. So after eight years of being an active birth worker, I am looking forward this year of just really sharing my medicine. Like you mentioned, I'm really looking forward to sharing my medicine with new upcoming birth workers and sharing my medicine with, you know, any new parents in the communities throughout everywhere that are looking into these ways. Awesome. And we will have, uh, for folks who are interested in learning more about Jenny's work, her medicine, her offerings, check out the show notes and we'll have all the links. So thank you for painting that really beautiful picture of your roots of where you, where you began in this lifetime and also what you're offering to the world right now. The next question that I'd love to ask you would be to talk a little bit more around how you weave in your life 
in your dynamics of being a mother, a partner, a community organizer, how do you weave ancestral medicine into your into your world? What does that look like and how does that feed your self-care practices as a birth worker? Mm. <laughs> uh, I am a very spiritual person. <laughs> um, I realize that I like a lot of quiet time for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, self-care is extremely important for me and for me, my medicine is nature. Nature is my medicine, so self-care comes a lot from nature. Integrating nature every way possible, again, even integrating it through labor, when I'm trying to labor my mamas, um, integrating it when I'm out of a labor. Nature is just my medicine. So what I used to do before is after a birth, I would go into the ocean. You know, whatever mm-hmm. season it was, I would go into the ocean and completely cleanse myself because labor is very much like the ocean waves, you know. Uh, pause really fast. What were the other questions? I know. I think I, I combined three questions into one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was asking you to speak around how you weave ancestral medicine into your life now as a mother, as a as a partner, as a community organizer. And so in terms of like, you know, your daily practices and then also to speak after that, I suppose, to speak about how that, yeah, how that ties into your birth work. Like how do you take care of yourself doing the super dynamic and energetically draining sometimes work? So basically a day in my life as doula Jenny. Yes, yes. Sleep is important when um, through my daily rituals, burn medicine, you know, um, burning medicine. The way we start off our day is really, really important. Something that I have to reflect on myself too. But the way we start off our day by just being thankful for another breath of life is really important. Mm. Uh, stepping out into nature and really stepping onto nature's ground, such as dirt or grass, is something very ritual for me. Um, morning stretches is something that's important for me. Why? Because understanding the importance of our body. We are nothing without this physical body, you know. So I think for me, physical care as far as nutritional work is very important too. There's no way somebody can go, 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 go and feed themselves that. So for me on a daily, it's nutrition. Um, I do have another side business. You can follow it at Malinali Superfoods. Uh, We do a superfood powder, well, we're basically on that powder every day. I'm really big on ancestral superfoods, so I think that's a big aspect of, of what helps me be the, be the person that I am, you know, or what helps me um, carry the medicine that I carry is because of the nutrition behind it. Can you actually uh, speak a little more about ancestral superfoods? Like, what does that mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. So ancestral superfoods for us, uh, we started with this journey. I started with this journey when I was 30 years old. Um, I was dealing with lots of women health issues, such as vaginitis. When I started realizing and finding myself going to the doctors often, and they would just prescribe me antibiotics every month, I started realizing this has to be a different change, you know? Mm-hmm. Integrating somewhat of what the doctors teach us. The doctors do teach you, you got to change the way you eat. you got to implement exercise on a daily basis. But the problem is, is that they don't teach you how to do it. They just tell you that you need to do it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So for myself, I took that step further on, and I started researching the foods of our ancestors, okay? How did our ancestors survive without having to deal with any of the stuff and illnesses that we deal with now? That's how I started with ancestral foods, uh, with my own health, with the health of my own family. So we started off with the first superfood, which was spirulina. Spirulina is the number one top superfood that you can find out there, and it was known and grown by our ancestors. We had lakes and lakes and lakes of spirulina. Hmm. We can literally survive off just spirulina because a superfood is basically something that can feed you and nourish you, and you can survive off of it. So spirulina is plant-based protein, vitamins, enzymes, everything that your body needs to survive. So we started with spirulina. Then from there, again, you search a little bit deeper. Then we found the chia seed. Then we found the cacao. Then we found the maca. 
and then we found the rest and the rest, and everything else kind of continued. But for us, those are our five, and then we found amaranth. But for us, those are the main top superfoods that we work with. Mm. And again, going deeper into that, what does spirulina actually do? First of all, when you think about how it's cultivated and how it's made, spirulina is made with water, wind, and sun, and movement. That is everything that we are about. That is everything that our ancestors teach us is the respect for the sun, the water, the earth, the wind. Every living thing has a purpose in life. So for me to tap into something that was created with nature, you have a different understanding of when you're taking this food and what you're putting in your body, really understanding of the dynamics and the effects that your body takes. So thank you drove us deep into the superfood world. And now we are eight years deep into superfoods. Mm -hmm. And again, we started with our children, of course. There's no way that we can take care of our own health and then allow our children to eat the way that most children are eating now. So it started with myself and with my partner. And then from there, we went to our children. And that's how we integrated superfoods into smoothies. Smoothies is such a great way to introduce health to anybody, anybody, even if you have your most stubborn dad that just doesn't want to take nothing that's green, you can implement superfoods into anything that can make such a good flavor. And our kids started taking it. And then from there, we started getting questioned a lot from the community. Hey, you guys are an amazing family. Wow, you guys, you know, are not only walking this red road of our spiritual work, but now we're implementing it through foods. Then we implement it by the way we dress then we implement it by the way we live. Like you just mentioned, on our daily lives, how do we implement this? This is not a trend. This is not something that's in season. This is my way of life, Mm -hmm. you know? My earrings, my clothing is my way of life. I dress like this. I've been dressing like this since I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. You just touched upon so many, so many really rich things. But in particular, one thing that I'm just really really drawn to was this, so in, I'd say, dominant Western culture, when we think about food, oftentimes it's just broken down into, right, proteins and carbohydrates, and, and it's a very mechanical sort of understanding, right, of our bodies as machines and food as fuel, and that's it. Um, but in indigenous modalities across the world, the concept of food, as you mentioned, includes beyond that. It includes the the energetic impact of the plant's literal relationship with its environment Um, and as birth workers we are in very tangibly right the physical realm very very tangibly in the physical realm when also we are profoundly in this um this spiritual gate right we are on the threshold of of a new life and so i think i i just i love that that contemplation of of nourishment, because obviously, yes, we need to take care of our bodies because without these bodies, we aren't going to be able to continue to show up, right? And so, yes, to be able to have that nourishment, the things that are easily digestible, things that feed us in mind, body, and soul. And then also to think about, you know, in terms of what we bring into the birth room, for example, that's just really beautiful to think that we're not just bringing in carbs and protein and things that can, you know, keep us moving in our mechanical way, but to bring in medicine, right? To be bringing in earth for grounding, to be bringing in whether it be teas or foods, or as you were talking about, right? Like your specific uh, approach with, um, you know, with spirulina and and smoothies, to be bringing in medicine that is contributing to the altar that is the birth experience. I just, yeah. I think that's really, really powerful. And for folks who already have existing relationships with plants, for example, right, like raspberry leaf is something that a lot of female-bodied folks in birth spaces I find are familiar with. I mean, just, yeah, to be that intentional, that much more intentional with what we bring in to the birth room to nourish us and what we in turn, right, can perhaps offer our clients for support. I just, that's, it's really rich. It's really, really rich. For me, it's, it's as basic as this. For me, it's, it's beyond feeding the mama these superfoods because, yes, the majority of my clients, they are on my superfoods. Hey, mommy has a low iron count. Oh, you know, I'm, I have low iron and the doctor wants me to get on iron pills. Well, have you listened to spirulina, mama? Spirulina can help you with this and this and this and this and this and this. So, yes, ideally for myself, I want to implement 
our ancestral foods all the way down into your embryo. This is beyond just taking care of my mama. I want our ancestral foods to be embedded in the embryo into their DNA because that's what happens when you start eating spirulina while you are pregnant. It is embedded into their DNA, into their genetic memory. So guess what? When they are born, their first foods become what? become superfoods and therefore we change that generation of the way our children's illnesses and all these illnesses that are being created by this man-made food like not man-made food but this poisonous food that they're completely false foods you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so for me it's really nutrition is something that I first started off with with my own house so nutrition I always go back to nutrition so yeah for me with women's health nutrition starts with again Fertility issues, guess what? Nutrition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you have very heavy menstrual cycles, guess what? Nutrition. Nutrition really matters on our body. And again, that intention behind everything that we put into our body really matters too, you know? Yeah. Um, even taking it further into our moon cycles, understanding what foods to eat and what foods not to eat when we are about to start our moon cycles. All of that has a certain connection and everything coincides with the same way that I take care of a woman after she gives birth. The same way I take care of a woman during postpartum, during the cuarentena teachings and medicine is the same way a woman should be being taken care of when we are in our menstrual cycles. And that is where those teachings come from our aunts and from our mothers. So the truth is, it is coming from our mothers. We were just never aware that these are abuelita teachings. Right. You get it? Oh, for sure. So when, when our mothers say, hey, you're on your menstrual cycle, put some socks on. That's probably why you're getting cramps. You can't be stepping on the cold floor. Those are very much similar teachings to after a woman gives birth. Right. You know? And you go deeper into that and deeper, and, you know. Yeah. But, so if I can put pause for one moment, because I, I do want to continue actually to to dive into your holding space for others. But before we do that, can you talk a little bit more around the self-care practices that you have uh, around your birth work? Uh, for example, grounding, you know, what's what are sort of what are some um, some things that you do to ground yourself when you're going into a space or if something particularly challenging happened, right? Perhaps it was a traumatic birth experience for the family. Uh, what do you do afterwards? So something that I do prior to me going into any space, anytime I'm working with anybody or meeting up with anybody, it's always blessing myself. Sage blessings. Um, it could be a possible hike prior to me meeting up with somebody. It could be a possible me sitting down in my car and singing ceremonial songs to myself, to ground myself. It could be me getting my hand drum and just going out and touching a tree and just start singing away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, self-care for me comes in many, many different forms. Before, I thought that self-care only meant, like, when I'm actually sitting down in front of the fire, in front of sweat lodge. I felt like, oh, my God, this is the only thing I have to do. This is the only thing that helps me. But as you further on your medicine skills, you realize that we are constantly in ceremony. So just stepping out of your phone, stepping out of TV, stepping out of your home surrounding and going into nature, I go back into that ceremonial ground. So for me, nature, again, is my medicine. Mm -hmm. Lots of nature stuff, lots of singing. Singing for me is very important um because that's what makes me grounded that's what makes me feel grounded you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um meditation a little bit of yoga that kind of all coincides together honestly yoga is its own thing but the truth is meditation and yoga are all coincide together with our spirituality you know Mm -hmm. it's something that is connecting the unseen world when we meditate we're connecting to the unseen world where again you tap out of everything and you're just feeling the energy of every living being so connecting and meditation and all that is very important. That's my big self-care. If I've gone through a very, uh, very long labor or a very traumatic labor where there's lots of questions, I understand that I need to go for a run. Sweating is very important for me. Sweating is a big self-care for me, actually, sweating. And I think I coincide and I coincides me sweating when I'm running the same as I'm sweating when I'm in a sweat lodge. So for me, running is prayer. So running is a major 
part of self-care for myself as prayers. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those are a lot of really beautiful, tangible examples. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you could please talk more about the way that you weave in ancestral medicine into your offerings with folks through the birth experience. Yeah. That happens the minute that they first call me, honestly. From their first conversation, from their first consultation, is really just holding space, you know? We live in a world where everybody wants to talk, 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 talk to get their point across. I think what's really nurturing about me is that, and that's something that I learned as a medicine woman in Swalaj, is to just listen. So listening is really important in the birth world, you know? When you give a woman that safe space of just listening, they seem to open up a little bit more to you and more to you. And they're because, again, nobody really is giving them that time to really just listen to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And we can have conversations with our sisters and our friends and our mothers, but they're always really quick to, oh, well, it's because of this and this and this. Well, it's because of this and this. Well, you're feeling this and this and this. And so, again, the importance of just really letting a mommy talk or a couple talk or whoever I'm working with, just letting them talk, that alone, I sometimes don't even have to say a word. That alone, they're like, oh, my God, this feels so good. Thank you so much for doing this. That right there is integrating my practices just by listening. Second, when I meet up with them, their prenatal visits, I'm constantly, constantly guiding them through everything that I believe in. Mommy, how are you feeling? Oh, you know, I've been really stressed out. Well, have you gone for a walk outside? Again, integrating nature so they can integrate it for themselves and teach them that own little medicine within themselves. Connecting into their own intuition. Not all my clients are walking the spiritual path. Not all my clients are looking for this ceremonial way of birth. So integrating my ways, it's not challenging at all, but it comes very secretively because the truth is I'm still guiding them to my teachings. It's just changing words around or um, mainly just changing words around, you know? (laughs) I mean, from the little that I've gathered, you know, in, in terms of what our conversations have been and also what I've gathered from your social media offerings is that it seems to be that you teach in a universal way. So whether or not someone has a, a historical you know, context of the medicine or whether or not that's their personal belief system, it seems to be that you describe it in such a way that it's still meaningful. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You nailed it right there. I definitely come from a universal speaking. So, yes, no matter what culture you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what sex you are, it's still the same thing for you. I still see you as a universal spirit. That's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, connecting them with my herbs throughout their whole time that they are under my care. Um, integrating the reboso for me is very important mm. because, again, integrating the reboso um, is a blanket of love for me. It is an extension of our abuelita medicine. Mm-hmm. And when I am not there physically with them, again, because we don't see them all the time, for them to have a reboso with them after I teach them about the reboso, they feel very, very nurtured just with the reboso alone. Yes. Sometimes if mom is going through something hard, like, you know what, I'm really going through it, and I may have gained so much weight, or just, you know, the basic emotions and ups and downs that we've experienced through pregnancy, being wrapped around with the reboso is very comforting. So I like to integrate the reboso a lot with my medicines and kind of connect my clients again wherever race they are whatever background they're coming from they still have that respect for the reboso and it works you know that's so, so beautiful seen is again guiding the mommy to listen to her own intuition you know mm-hmm. um i do have lots of parents that are like okay you're gonna you're gonna give us that secret medicine to have a natural painful birth mm-hmm. no i'm gonna I don't have a magic pill. What I have is patience and universal understanding of wisdom of guiding them to trust that own intuition and to trust in their own medicine, you know? Yes. And that's very different for everybody. Again, depending on their culture, depending on their religion, I'm just here to guide them through the medicine and the strength that they already have within themselves. Like I tell my parents and my people that I work with, I am not better than them. I'm just a reflection of the medicine that's inside of you. I'm just here to guide you, make that 
medicine come out and flourish. Yes, I think as birth workers, that is probably the biggest gift we could offer people is to be a mirror, to create a space for them to see themselves as more empowered, right? More courageous than they ever have before. And so that when they emerge on the other side with this new little being in their arms, that this next journey begins right in a in a place of of strength of connectivity and feeling supported whether it be just support from our internal realm or right even feeling supported by all those who went through that birth journey with you yes yeah, yes yeah, yes yeah. and that's very very important because also too when you're out of the birth experience already they really feel that you were their strength you know and I got that a lot with my first client. It's like, Jenny, we couldn't have done this without you. Oh, my God, we couldn't have done this without you. And the truth is, it's like, no, you're doing it without me. Yes. So I realized that when the message was coming off wrong, they were really depending on me a lot. And so when after the baby's born, they're like, Jenny, we need you. Jenny, can you come and visit? Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. And so I had to switch that around, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to figure out. And again, nobody's perfect, and every birth is always a learning lesson. Um, I could never say that I'm a professional after eight years. I could never say that I'm a full teacher. I'm always a teacher and always a student. Every birth I attend always teaches me something different. But, yeah, when you really switch that around, then that's really when, when they're like, wow, thank you. Thank you for showing me my strengths. I know I'm going to be a good mother. I know I'm going to be able to handle this when I'm back home with my child, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the real passion behind being a birth worker is empowering the woman to find her own medicine, empowering the family to find their own medicine and their own strengths, you know? Because we as birth workers, we're not just here to guide the mother. We are here to guide the entire family through this next transition and this next phase in their life. Yes. Yes. So continuing to pull on that thread, actually, I have one more question and time has absolutely flown by. So one final question, please speak to folks who are just starting to tap into ancestral medicine. What sort of suggestions or beginning steps could they take to start weaving this medicine into their work, into their birth experience. So you're talking about like new doulas, like new birth workers? Yeah. It give, yes. Um, fo- well, folks who may not necessarily be new to the birth work, but folks who are new to bringing ancestral medicine into into their world, right? I mean, I think, right, for example, we can go into, um, into a hospital environment and it could be very easy in that culture to not pause to give reverence to the sacredness of what's going on, right? It's very easy to move quickly and to just kind of go with the flow. However, I feel that to be practicing ancestral medicine is to be weaving in moments throughout your day, throughout your time working with folks to take pause and to stay connected to that meaning. So that whether you are at home or in a birth center or whether you're even in the OR at a hospital, that you're able to tap in, able to stay connected to the sacredness that is that realm. And so, yeah, so some folks, I think, intuitively know that, but don't necessarily have the confidence or the experience to know how to weave meaning, spirituality, however you want to phrase it, into their birth work. And so I just wanted to see um, if you had any examples for new folk. What are some easy ways for them to start weaving it in? Okay. I think this is going to be a tricky question because even just some of the words, what is an easy way to weave in this medicine? (laughs) I know. As soon as actually, as soon as easy came out of my mouth, I was like, uh. Exactly. This is such a, there is no right answer to this question. We live in a society where we want everything fast. People want to join a workshop and think that they're going to do this workshop for a weekend or for 40 hours, and they're going to be able to practice this exactly because they got certified or because they learned from this person. Mm-hmm. This medicine, this ancestral ways of learning is a journey. It's kind of like, what's the easy way out to, to having a natural birth? There is no easy way out. You have to go through your journey, Okay. So, yes, there's a big journey behind this medicine before people should start practicing it, honestly. 
there is no easy way to integrate this medicine into our birth work. Like you mentioned, it's very much intuitive, okay? Very much so intuitive. If something calls to you and you find yourself doing it and it comes very easy for you and you understand the intentions and the medicines behind it, then guess what? Your spirit has been here before and it's something very nurturing for you. For myself, when there's a spirit that feels very lost or very not certain of these ways, then what I can suggest or what I normally suggest is tap into your roots. That's literally the first thing that you need to go into is tap into your own roots, meaning my ancestors are not the same as your ancestors, even if we might be both Chicana. You know, mm-hmm. we don't. None of us have the same ancestors. So the first step to this road, integrating this medicine through this road, would be to tap into your own roots. Start asking questions within your own family. Mm-hmm. Okay, the same way like I started this interview. What got me into this road is again asking questions and looking at books and researching and finding who you are, you know. I think to integrate these medicines, one first needs to know who you are, who you are as a person, because you can't offer medicine if you don't know who you are first. So that's very much the first step is identifying who your where your roots come from. And again, that's as simple as asking, sitting down and having a dinner with your parents and literally like hey no this is not going to be a funny dinner no i really want to know where our ancestors come from you know where was my mother where was your grandmother born at what pueblo was that oh wow what i didn't know that you know and that's really where it starts so tapping into one's own roots and then from there that journey just kind of takes you you continue to search that it's kind of like the wind you don't you just go with it go with the flow but if you find yourself again doing workshops and attending this workshop and still not feeling fully confident in doing this medicine, then this medicine is not for you, you know? Again, it's very, I'm a very spiritual person, so this medicine that sometimes comes to us as early as when we're born, you know? Sometimes this medicine calls to you by dreams since you were little. Um, You might have dreams of attending birth. So this medicine comes to you if it's meant for you. But if you find yourself really just two, three years deep going to workshops on ancestral medicines and still don't feel grounded or confident enough to do it, then step aside for a little bit and tap into your own roots, tap into your own own little mini tree before you go and start planting trees somewhere else. Right. Yeah. I, yes, I very much, uh, I very much echo a lot of what you said. And I think for, for me, the way that ancestral medicine has woven into my birth work has been through the small intimate things that allow me to stay connected to meaning through that experience. Um, So like today with me on the altar here, I have uh, lavender and uh, a lot of times romero, right? Rosemary is something that I will bring in with me to the birth room just in my pocket for me to stop and take out right, and smell and connect with um, prayer. It could be an actual prayer or just a sort of mantra, right? Like a, a statement of meaning. I actually came off of a 19-hour birth this morning. I know. I did not have no idea. <laughs> I was like, my yeah. apprentice actually was like, I think she's at a birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got a good five hours of sleep, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And luckily, you know, meeting with you is a very beautiful extension of this realm I was in. Um, but uh, it was a mama who was unmedicated for the majority of the birth, and she had really, really bad back labor. Posterior baby. Oh, it's so sad. And it was in the wee hours of the morning, and she's emotionally, you know, starting to crumble, and I'm starting to feel exhausted, right? I've been, like, massaging for hours, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so it was, it was literally a figuratively and a literal dark space at that time. And I started to feel myself become, un, you know, unhinged a little bit. And so what I ended up doing was, as she was breathing, I was stating a mantra in my head. So for mm. every breath, I was saying a prayer. 
And Mm -hmm. it was for Mm -hmm. me, right? It was for me. But then the more that I kept on saying it, the more, right, that universal meaning started to spiral out. And then it was for her. And then it was for me. And then it was for dad in the corner who was passed out because he hadn't slept in two days. Like, yeah, so, you know, private moments, I guess, private in that most people probably didn't know, right, that there was medicine in the room. But it was really strengthening for me and again right as, as you mentioned there's something about there's something about medicine that when you do your work for you it comes off in a way to benefit others whether oftentimes whether it's intentional or not and part of my my birth work also has been a continuation of my healing my own womb space a reclamation of my body so actually to kind of jump back to the topic of um, plant medicine and, and properties, um, I've been actually only recently more aware of the type of tea that I bring into this space. Before it was more around like taste or season, you know, like cultivating digestion. And only the last four weeks or so, I've been starting to bring in teas that nourish my womb. And I found that I felt so much more able to hold that space for the reverence of someone else's body when Mm -hmm. I was taking the time to hold reverence of my own. Yeah. Extremely important to check in with ourselves before we go hold space for somebody Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. That is a whole nother subject on its own because that's like doula talk. Mm -hmm. What do you do to prep yourself when you're on call? Yeah, when you see me on Instagram saying doula life, or doula on call. Doula on call world is no joke. You know, <laughs> we need to make sure that we're fully well rested. Understanding intuitively, I am connected to my client. So if I have a client that's, you know, waiting around patiently for her birth to happen, and I wake up really tired, guess what? I'm connecting to her and I go back to sleep myself because I already know that her birth is going to start later on tonight. Mm-hmm. And I never fail. We become intuitive with our mamas. To once you're walking the spiritual path, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, Mama, how are you feeling? I text her. She's like, I'm really exhausted today. And I'm like, guess what? Same here. Let's rest. Because this is a good sign that your labor might start later on. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's funny when you were talking about the medicines right there to take to the hospital. Uh, I remember that. Like, I remember, like, taking all my medicines, you know? I wanted to burn sage and copal, and then you realize, like, wait, you can't burn nothing. And I learned that with my own pregnancies. 20, 18 years ago when I had my first birth at a hospital setting in Santa Cruz done with a midwife, I was trying to take my medicines, and they're like, yeah, you can't burn any of this in the hospital, you know? So I started making little pouches of medicine for my clients that are interested in these kind of medicines, you know? Mm. Um Scents are really, really important for us. And again, for me, sage and copal and sweet grass is all ceremonial medicine for Mm -hmm. me. So even just smelling it, not necessarily burning it, even just smelling it close to your heart is really, really nurturing and grounding. Yes. So that's something that I also provide for my clients that are speaking that way. Like, Jenny, how can we make this into a ceremony without actually burning the medicines, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, How to bring fire into a hospital room candlelights, you know, electronic little battery-operated candlelights. It really, really sets the mood. And I like to support my community. So I do work with uh, Casa Papalot. I'm going to blast her out. Uh, I do work with Casa Papalot. I work with Daisy, with Yerberia uh, Mayawel. They do such amazing room sprays with our plant medicine, you know. So these are two mujeres that are doing plant medicine through essential room sprays. Super, super dope to have that as a colored birth worker, as a spiritual birth worker. Bringing in those scents into a hospital surrounding mm-hmm. is important, you know? Yes. So that's another way of bringing our medicines into a hospital setting. Yes, yes. And I think it's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful action to decolonize birth space is to yeah. unapologetically bring in reverence and meaning for again, right for ourselves, supporting those in the space, then also for right to encourage folks who are this is their birth journey to encourage yeah. them however they can, right? Some folks aren't open to it at the time, but however they are able to cultivate meaning in that space is mm-hmm. powerful think, work. Yeah, I think I think even the people that are not open to it, I think when a woman in that transitional phase of labor, we are 
so in so much in that spiritual world. At that point, we are open to everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just speaking from experience, from, again, being an active birth worker for eight years, attending 80, 90-plus births in these past eight years. I have guided many women, many different cultures, many different backgrounds. But at some point or another, they're always open to my medicinal and medicine ancestral abuelita ways. You know, mm-hmm. I think at the beginning I was trying to be this Western doula, you know, like, okay, I only provide this and this and this, but no, I realize I am way more than a doula. First of all, I don't even like the word doula. We are not doulas. We are not women servants. Right. I'm not, I'm not that. So until we, but unfortunately with marketing, doula mm-hmm. is the first word that women are going to search or parents are going to search up, you know, so marketing issues, I have to put the word doula in there. But again, I am at the phase of my journey already in my past where I'm like, this is who I am. And I think I have a very good following that whatever name I choose to be, people will find me, you know? Yeah. Jenny, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me. The work you weave into this world is beautiful and so important. And I really, I look forward to continuing to stay connected and hopefully for uh, more collaboration in the future. So in closing, is there any last, I don't know, a blessing or any more information that you'd like to share with folks? Well, that's a hard one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to Lasokamatli for, again, um, creating this network, you know, creating this wavelength of information for all communities throughout the entire world. This is an amazing, amazing opportunity for myself and this medicine ways. Oof. I usually just say again, oh, all elements, the four-legged, the two-legged, to the two-legged and the winged. And our ancestors are listening to us. Our abuelitas are listening to us. If you find your if you find yourself walking this path, you've been here before. Search, search and seek. Um, one way or another, one part of your family member has been doing this work, you know. And we need more. We need more people of color. We need more colored faces in our birth rooms. So, thank you, Kamatli. Follow me at at Dula Jenny Silva, and I look forward to what the future has for us and just the the wisdom of this podcast. Thank you. The music you heard on today's show is Green and Gold by Leanne Lajavas. Deep gratitude to Jenny Silva for being our guest. Connect with Jenny on Instagram at Silva or email her at doulajenny13 at gmail.com. You can find all this information in show notes. Check out episode four, Ancestral Medicine Series, part three, where we connect with medicine maker, healer, and mother, Heaven Celeste Thunder, to discuss the practice of ancestral medicine and motherhood. Follow me on Instagram at birthbruja to continue the conversation of ancestral medicine and birth work. I've been your host, Ari Guajardo Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude.